This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. I'm Shannon Bream. I'm Will Kane. I'm Dana Perino, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, September 22nd, 2022. I'm Dave Anthony. Russia's leader makes another nuclear threat after suffering setbacks in Ukraine. We need to be clear, we need to be strong, and uh, we need to make it very clear that our nuclear deterrent is absolutely operational right now. Don't go there, Putin. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. As Republican governors send migrants to so-called sanctuary cities, Democrats pay more attention to the border. And through it all, more migrants come to the U.S. as Customs and Border Protection reports a record-breaking number. When you have 2.1 million individuals so far, and doesn't include the 400, 500,000 getaways, that is not a close border. And I'm Mark Thiessen. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. What Russia has been doing in Ukraine for the past seven months is the big issue in New York. This war is about extinguishing Ukraine's right to exist as a state, plain and simple. President Biden addressed the United Nations General Assembly. Whoever you are, wherever you live, whatever you believe, that should not, that should make your blood run cold. He called on our allies and other countries to do even more to help support Ukraine. To hold Russia accountable for the atrocities and war crimes. Because if nations can pursue their imperial ambitions without consequences, then we put at risk everything this very institution stands for. Everything. The president spoke hours after a rare public address in Russia by leader Vladimir Putin. If the territorial integrity of our country is threatened, we will without doubt use all available means to protect Russia and our people. This is not a bluff. More than hinting he could go nuclear in Ukraine. And those who try to blackmail us with nuclear weapons should know that the prevailing winds can also blow in their direction. This after a counteroffensive drove his forces back as Ukrainian troops liberated more than 3,000 square miles of territory Russia had taken control of after invading. So Putin said, I think it is necessary to support the proposal of the Ministry of Defense and the General Staff to conduct a partial mobilization in Russia. That could call up about 300,000 reserve soldiers and Russian fighters with military experience. Ukrainian officials using social media are reaching out to Russians, saying if you are sent to fight, surrender. Save your own life for you and your loved ones. Don't die an inglorious death on a foreign land. Now, President Biden called that new Russian troop mobilization outrageous and the nuclear threat Reckless. And the Kremlin is organizing a sham referenda to try to annex parts of Ukraine, an extremely <clears throat> significant violation of the UN Charter. Later in the day, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky also addressed the UN remotely via video. A crime has been committed against Ukraine, and we demand just punishment. The crime was committed against our state borders. 
the crime was committed against the lives of our people. The world wants peace. And we have seen who is the only one who wants war. Congressman Michael Waltz met with President Zelensky in person visiting Ukraine back in July. What did he think of the Biden-UN speech? I'd give it a mixed review, uh, to be candid. Congressman Waltz is on the House Armed Services Committee, the lead Republican on military readiness. He certainly described a number of the world's uh, issues, particularly as it pertains to Russia and Ukraine. Um, but he, I also you know, listened to him spend an inordinate amount of time in the speech uh, focused on climate uh, and focused on other issues that seem to be, um, you know, along the lines of, of inclusion and more along the lines of their uh, domestic agenda than really talking solutions about the crises that are blowing up all over the world. What would you have wanted him to say more about the conflict in Ukraine? Well, I think, you know, particularly in the wake of Putin uh, essentially threatening nuclear war, escalating uh, and and going to a national mobilization, the likes of which they haven't done, uh, that Russia hasn't done since World War II, really tripling down on the war, I would have liked to have seen absolute clarity uh, from Biden, from the commander in chief, that the use of any type of WMD in any way, chemical, tactical nuclear, uh, even causing uh, any type of damage to a nuclear reactor that causes a leak is a red line for the United States, a red line for NATO. Uh, Putin believes that if he continues to escalate, eventually NATO and the Biden administration will get weak need, uh, much like our lack of response to the colonial pipeline uh, or a whole host of, of, of other transgressions, much like our weak response in Afghanistan or now uh, in, in the Iran deal. So we need to be clear. We need to be strong. And uh, we need to make it very clear that our nuclear deterrent is absolutely operational right now. Don't go there, Putin. Well, he did say that nobody wins a nuclear war. You know, he was vice president when President Obama put the red line for Syria, don't use chemical weapons. And that didn't work out so well. Maybe he's reticent to do that. Well, I believe he is reticent to do that. I mean, Obama should have lived up to that red line, I think, is the lesson that should have been learned. Uh, but as the leader of the free world, we have to draw very clear lines, especially to these types of dictatorships that will continue to push and push and push until they meet resistance. We need to make it very clear where that resistance will be met directly from uh, the United States. It's demonstrating that strength and that resolve that actually deters our adversaries from ever taking those types of steps in the first place. I think that's a fundamental lesson that this administration still hasn't learned. The other thing I would have liked to have heard from Biden is calling on Europe to step up and do more. They're talking a big game, particularly Germany right now, but they're actually delivering. And I was just out in Kyiv having this conversation with President Zelensky. What Europe is actually delivering is a fraction of what they're promising yet it's right on their doorstep. And once again, the United States is taking the vast lion's share of responsibility and burden for Europe and global security. The Europeans have got to do more. I would have liked to have heard that from the president. We have sent a lot of weapons. We've sent ammunition. We've sent military financing. Have we done the right thing? 
Well, look, I mean, I firmly believe that Putin, if he cuts through Ukraine easily, like a hot knife through butter, he will keep marching. He has said so. Uh, Next will be Poland. Next will be the Baltics. He fully intends to reestablish the old Soviet Union. So if the Ukrainians are doing the fighting and the dying uh, for everyone's freedom to keep us out of a NATO treaty-induced conflict, and all they're asking for are the resources to fight for their freedom, I think that's the right call. That said, the Europeans have to do their fair share. And another outcome of my visit is we have to have more effective oversight of where all of this aid is going uh, and that it's properly being utilized. That's just a basic responsibility to the taxpayer. Yeah, I know there is a, a fear that one thing that we haven't given enough or Europe hasn't given enough is anti-drone weaponry and ammunition, because I think that Russia is getting more and more of that and using more and more of that in the fight in Ukraine. Right. Well, look, I mean, time and time again, the Biden administration has finally gotten to the right place really late and with too little, (laughs) Uh, whether it was harpoon anti-ship missiles, stingers, uh, long-range artillery, the MiG fighters, you mentioned the anti-drone weaponry, all of those things the Ukrainians were asking for before the war. Uh, One could argue that the war would have been deterred or stopped if Putin saw this you know, big porcupine that was just too big to swallow and, and didn't believe he could he could take Ukraine easily. So, you know, eventually it seems that Biden gets there. I'm actually proud of the Congress for dragging them there. Um, there is this overwhelming fear of provoking Putin of escalation. Of course, we always have to have that in mind. But again, Putin is going to continue to push as hard and long as he can until he's met uh, with resistance, till he's met with force. All right. Now, one thing we've seen, you mentioned that Putin wants to move on. He's having a hard time even keeping what he had already taken over in Ukraine. There's been a counteroffensive. Yeah. Areas have been liberated. When you spoke to President Zelensky, how confident is he that he is on the march the other way, that he can fight back and drive them all out? Zelensky's biggest fear is Europe getting even more weak need this winter. Uh, it is easy to talk tough in the middle of a heat wave, but once literally Russian turns off the gas in the middle of winter to European steel, aluminum, gas, car factories, and its residents, uh, he's incredibly worried about European backsliding. And he's worried that you know um, this is going to fall off the headlines in the United States. So he made it very clear to us he intended to reverse the momentum. This was about a month ago. Uh, they've done so. But he also made it clear that we, you know, that he needs help sustaining it Um, and sustaining this offensive will take additional resources. And he has to do so in the south. Access to the Black Sea, to trade routes, to ports. uh, The Russians have taken all of them except for Odessa is critical for his economy uh, going forward. So that was really the focus of of his counteroffensive, shifting the momentum getting access to the Black Sea and doing so before winter sets in and uh, backsliding starts to occur in terms of support. There's a lot of talk about uh, Putin being more and more isolated. He's not getting support from his traditional allies as much anymore and that, that he's weakened. And, and, and But do you think that's true or do you think that he is ready to lash back? He's got these 300,000 reservists he's trying to get in there. Do you think yeah. that he has that his defeat and demise in Ukraine has been uh, pronounced too quickly? Well, I think uh, Putin's success in Ukraine directly translates to his 
continued viability for his regime, for his leadership, you know, as essentially a, a dictator over Russia. So he so, has to win, essentially, in your view, for himself. Yeah, he, will, he will be all in for his own personal uh, survival uh, and legacy. In terms of support, look, I don't think the sanctions have been nearly as effective uh, as advertised. Uh, Chinese imports of Russian oil and gas are up 50 percent just in the last year. India is still buying Brazil, the Middle East. Uh, I think they've absolutely, for everything they've lost in European markets, they've replaced in Asian and other markets. And, oh, by the way, what should be driving the price of oil down and therefore drying up Putin's coffers would be American oil and gas and Biden's war on domestic energy production is directly feeding. This is just what's so sadly ironic about uh, Biden's asinine energy policy is it's directly feeding to high, leading to higher gas prices, which not only hurts Americans at home, feeds Putin's war machine. Republican Congressman Michael Waltz from Florida, member of the House Armed Services Committee. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thank you. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. This is Mark Thiessen with your Fox News commentary coming up. This week, Customs and Border Protection released a record-breaking statistic. More than 2.1 million migrants detained at the southwest border just this past fiscal year, which ends in about a week. That does not yet include September's numbers. President Biden was asked Tuesday why the border is so overwhelmed on his watch. He said that now fewer migrants were coming from Mexico and Central America. This is a totally different circumstance. What's on my watch now is Venezuela, Cuba and Nicaragua. And the ability to send them back to those states is not rational. You could send them back and have them wait. We're working with Mexico and other countries to see if we can stop the flow. But that's the difference. The latest numbers come after a report earlier this year revealed Homeland Security officials estimate more than 500,000 people are likely gotaways, people who entered the country and just slipped past undetected just this year alone. 
In response, Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott began sending thousands of migrants on buses to places like New York and Washington, D.C., saying they were sanctuary cities and should share in the burden. New York's and D.C.'s mayors said it needed to stop. But after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis sent 50 migrants to Martha's Vineyard, Democratic politicians started to speak out more. Uh, Those migrants are used as pawns Mm -hmm. to humiliate and dehumanize. What uh, Ron DeSantis is doing is a disgrace. It's almost monstrous, and I say that not lightly. I say that quite thoughtfully. California Governor Gavin Newsom asked Attorney General Merrick Garland to investigate the flight. Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis shot back. I haven't heard a peep about all the people that have been told by Biden you can just come in and they're going, they're being abused by the cartels, they're drowning in the Rio Grande. You had 50 that died in some shed in Texas. I heard no outrage about any of that. Some of the migrants flown to Martha's Vineyard have now filed lawsuits against DeSantis, accusing him of violating their constitutional rights using false promises and misrepresentations. There are different groups that have to be listened to and people need to listen to what the men and women in green are saying, Border Patrol. Henry Cuellar is a Democratic congressman from Texas whose district is along the border. But the border communities have to be listened to. And and for many years, they've been saying we're overwhelmed. And this is something that uh, people haven't noticed till it starts happening in their own backyard. Well, for some of us that live on the border, it's been happening in our own backyard for so many years. You said to Fox the other day there's a bit of theater happening here with Republican governors, you know, busing and flying migrants to other cities uh, away from the border, um, and that migrants deserve to be treated with dignity. But I have to ask, and I'm asking you, I, I guess, about the rest of your party, where were the Democrats then for these many months worrying about their dignity as, you know, they died in the Rio Grande River? We've been reporting on and seeing toddlers and babies drowning. Well, uh, I'm speaking just for myself. Um Look, I did say, you know, I don't like theater. I'd rather have practical solutions for both the local government, the state government, and the federal government, especially the federal government, will all coordinate. Uh, I mean, the fact that they're sending buses or planes, that type of theater, it has worked. I mean, you know, you and I are talking about it and other people are talking about it now. Uh, So it has worked in bringing attention to, uh, to folks, but I, I do want to say that even in the Laredo area, a couple of years ago, even the city of Laredo sent some buses to Dallas and Houston, and my mayor from uh, Laredo got a call from the mayor in Houston where he said, hey, don't send us any more buses. So mm-hmm. it's fine. Some people look at it. It's fine to look at it when you're hundreds or thousands of miles away, but when it happens in your own backyard, it becomes real. And for some of us in the border... It has become real. And I know that. What do you say to those Republican governors who say, well, we are sharing the burden now. That's what we're doing. You just said it yourself. These border communities can't handle it. And so and there are, you know, DeSantis and Governor Abbott and others have said, well, there are sanctuary cities that maybe can handle it. And what do you say in response to that? Well, I say that there are no sanctuary cities along the border. I do not have a single, at least not that I've talked to uh, in my area, a single mayor or county judge or sheriff or police or county commissioner or city council has said, hey, open up the borders and let more people in. Uh, So for the record, uh, we don't have any sanctuary cities along the border that I know of. I prefer that people work together Look, I understand, uh, you know, they're sending people up there, you know, in, in many ways they're used, the, the migrants are human beings. And 
uh, and I understand why this is happening. They're trying to make a point. Uh, the way we see a lot of things is, for example, the areas of Washington, D.C., the areas of New York, they might get one or two buses a day. In Laredo, just in Laredo, and it's one of nine Border Patrol areas, we send out 21 to 26 buses a day. And that shows you what we're seeing there. I just want to see, you know, a coordination. Uh, I understand why the governors are doing this. I understand the frustration. I understand the frustration. And I think the federal government, uh, the administration needs to uh, do a much better job. We know the numbers. You know, it's already 2.1 million and we haven't finished the fiscal year. And we'll see what the numbers are. In a couple of years, we're talking about with getaways and everything, uh, we're talking about uh, more than 4 million individuals in two years, and that is certainly not a close border. You saw the number. You just mentioned it. The fiscal year isn't even over. Um, we've broken that record, more than 2.1 million migrant encounters um, uh, along the southwest border. Vice President Harris said, you know, the border's secure insofar as that we have a country and we need to have borders. Um, the White House spokeswoman said they're fixing what the last administration did, but the Republicans are in the way. The president himself said Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua are actually more on his radar now in regards to this issue. You've, you've said that that's actually a smaller percentage of those coming from those specific countries. What would you tell the president on this as we reach this incredible number? You know, we, we need to look at who has handled this in the past uh, and in what way. I, I think uh, under President Obama, Secretary Jay Johnson, the Homeland Secretary, I think had it right, in my opinion. And that is you treat people with respect and dignity. But at the end of the day, uh, some people might not be allowed to stay here and those people should be returned. And then you have to show images, images of people going back. I mean, Secretary mm. Johnson and myself during the Obama administration, we talked about showing, and there are some videos there that show them there when they were ending up back in Honduras, for example. Uh, you have to show people going back because right now the only images is uh, are people streaming across. Uh, when you have 2.1 million individuals so far and doesn't include the 400, 500,000 getaways, that is not a close border. And I think the administration, you know, we'll be happy to give them any constructive uh, help, has to allow the men and women of Homeland to do their job. And we need to make sure that we supply the men and women with the equipment. And, you know, again, to be fair, we need uh, both sides, the Democrats and Republicans, to support the appropriations, because in the appropriations bill, uh, we actually add, I you know, was very forceful about this, adding more Border Patrol agents, support staff, equipment, clothing allowance, mental health, everything so we can support our men and women in green, the men and women in blue, the men and women in tan, which is Air Marine and Customs. We need to support them. So we need to support the appropriations. I will say also that we need to support illegal migration into the U.S., a good guest worker plan, uh, mm. and you know, you know what party stands on supporting that, would be actually very helpful in supporting the border because then you will have the people that would come in and go back. And a lot of those people just want to come in and work and they want to go back. 
And then Border Patrol can then focus on people with the bad intentions. Mm -hmm. So when I say, you know, I want real solutions and not theater, I want to see how do we resolve this? How do we provide repercussions at the border? And that means deportation. Under the law, that means deportation. And there are enough laws in the book that allow us to do our job, just like Secretary Jane Johnson did in you know, in the Obama administration. Congressman, I want your brief thoughts about the midterms. Let's pivot here for a second. Um, The latest Fox News power rankings show some further erosion of Republicans' uh, House majority losing three seats in that estimation, Uh, still still taking the House. And this is, of course, as generic ballot polling shows a, a tightening. Democrats lead Republicans by a bit. I ask nearly every candidate, regardless of party, what they think is happening. But in your case, you know, as a Democratic congressman, what is the risk to Democrats right now if they think they're a bit ahead? Well, I mean, I, I don't think there's a risk. I think there is a uh, energize on behalf of Democrats, uh, because as, as you remember, you know, some months ago, everybody talked about a red wave and that right. red wave might be more of a, you know, of a, a smaller thing, you know, certainly not a red wave. So I think this energizes Democrats. Uh, but as Democrats, you know, we still got to keep one thing in mind. Border security is important, and this is why I've been so strong on supporting Border Patrol law enforcement to make sure that we have secure borders. Uh, So I I think some of the things we're seeing will energize uh, Democrats, and I think that's a a good thing. I want to keep my House majority. (laughs) Finally, um, your race in particular, your Republican opponent, Cassie Garcia, told Fox News a couple of weeks ago that you say the right things about the border, but that you vote with the president and Speaker Pelosi. I want your response to that. Look, she knows very well because she's married to a friend of mine who's a Border Patrol chief. And I know, you know, the Border Patrol chiefs, I know the Border Patrol, they know what I've done. They know that I have provided funding for Border Patrol. They know that I fought for pay raises. I fought for equipment, more personnel. They know that. She can't use the same message that she uses, uh, you know, that other Republicans use on Democrats, weak on the border. She knows that I've been very, 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 very strong on Border Patrol. And next year, I'll, uh, God willing, I'll be the chairman of the Homeland uh, Security Appropriations And as the uh, chairman, I will tell you that Border Patrol will have no stronger friend than I. And Cook Political just moved your race from uh, a toss-up to lean Democrat. I assume you're feeling pretty good about that. I feel very good. And the other thing is, when you look at the numbers, uh, look at some of the past numbers. I've always done 10 points higher than most Democrats, you know, whether it was Biden or whether it was, you know, other Democrats running uh, Beto O'Rourke and other people in my district, I usually do about 10 points higher than uh, other Democrats. And that shows you that I do get the independent and uh, some of the moderate Republicans. Congressman Henry Cuellar, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Jessica. At Evernorth Health Services, We believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? 
it's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions that's wonder made possible learn more at evernorth.com wonder precise personal powerful is america's weather team in the palm of your hands get fox weather updates throughout your busy day every day subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Mark Tisek. What's on your mind? The debate is settled. It is the policy of the United States that the U.S. military would defend Taiwan if it were attacked by communist China. The policy of strategic ambiguity is dead, no matter what a bunch of unelected White House aides have to say about it. Thus says the president of the United States. In an interview with CBS's 60 Minutes aired Sunday, Correspondent Scott Pelley asked Biden, would U.S. forces defend the island of Taiwan? Biden answered unequivocally, yes, if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. Pelley asked again, so unlike Ukraine, to be clear, sir, U.S. forces, U.S. men and women would defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion? Biden answered, yes. He could not have been clearer. No hesitation, no caveats, no ambiguity. But CBS reports, quote, after our interview, a White House official told us U.S. policy had not changed. Officially, the U.S. will not say whether American forces would defend Taiwan, but the commander-in-chief had a view of his own, unquote. I'm sorry, but the commander-in-chief does not have a quote-unquote view of his own that is distinct from U.S. policy. When the president speaks, what he says is U.S. policy, period. The president sets our foreign policy, not unnamed, unelected aides. And Biden has said in no uncertain terms that U.S. military forces would defend Taiwan if it was attacked. He has said it not once, not twice, not three times, but four times in the past year. In August 2021, Biden told ABC's George Stephanopoulos, quote, we made a sacred commitment to Article 5 that if in fact anyone were to invade or take action against our NATO allies, we would respond. Same with Japan, same with South Korea, same with Taiwan, end quote. The next day, a senior Biden administration and officials assisted to reporters that U.S. policy with regard to Taiwan has not changed. Then in October, Biden said it again. During a CNN town hall, a voter asked him, can you vow to protect Taiwan? Biden answered yes. Host Anderson Cooper asked him to clarify. He said, quote, are you saying that the United States would come to Taiwan's defense? Biden interrupted him mid-sentence and said yes. But the next day, his White House minders again insisted that Biden had not, in fact, said what he plainly had said. Then in May, at a Tokyo news conference, Biden was asked by a reporter, quote, you didn't want to get involved in Ukraine conflict military for obvious reasons. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Unquote. Biden replied, yes. But his national security team again contradicted him, insisting, quote, the president was clear on the fact that the policy has not changed. Unquote. Now Biden has said it a fourth time. It is clear he means it. At some point, we have to decide who is running the country, the president or his advisors. The fact is, Biden has made a clear, unequivocal commitment to defend Taiwan, and it is one of the best things he's done as president. During the Cold War, Article 5 of the NATO Charter, which declares that an attack on one ally is an attack on all, was a source of stability in Europe because the Soviet Union knew any act of aggression against a NATO ally would result in a U.S. response. Our commitment to defend NATO allies is the reason why President Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine, but not Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, or Poland, which are NATO allies. Similarly, removing any ambiguity over whether the United States will defend Taiwan will have a stabilizing effect in the Pacific, sending Chinese dictator Xi Jinping a clear message of deterrence. The failure of Biden's advisors to fall in line behind the commander in chief borders on insubordination. 
They keep telling him it's not U.S. policy to defend Taiwan, and he keeps saying it is. Maybe they think he forgot or that he's confused. The president keeps saying that Republicans represent a threat to the very foundations of our republic because they refuse to recognize the will of the people. In fact, the threat from those who refuse to recognize the will of the people comes from within, his own administration. Biden won 306 electoral votes. His aides and advisors got zero. That means when he speaks definitively four times on a matter of U.S. policy, that is the new policy of our nation, and his advisors need to salute and carry out his orders. I'm Mark Thiessen. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.